Welcome to the March 2017 version of the equipping webinar. My name is Nathan. I serve on the equipping team here, and I would just like to start off by saying happy one-year anniversary. Hey, hey. Happy awesome. one-year anniversary. Longer than most Hollywood marriages. <laughs> the webinar has lasted one year, mm. which also means we've got a pretty good archive of stuff that We've covered this last year in, in uh, social issues and apologetic issues and theology issues and, and uh, all kinds of stuff. So we definitely encourage you guys to check that out and uh, push it along as you interact with people who are talking about those things. We definitely appreciate that. To my left is my co-host, Nika Spaulding. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to be joining you all. And if anybody has listened to all 12 previous webinars, you can email me. And I'll make Nathan buy you a LaCroix. <laughs> so listen to all 12 live, yeah. uh, and he'll buy you a LaCroix. Yes. But anyways, excited to talk about today's topic with you guys. That's funny. If you have no idea what Nike is talking about, they did a video spoof on, on us before, and a dub over. So like, uh, what do they call yeah, it? Like bad lip whatever. reading. Yeah, bad lip reading. Yeah. And so as she was walking off, David Penuel, who works here, was like, somebody get me a LaCroix. <laughs> I think it was Jordan Thompson. I'll give him the credit. Yeah. But Thompson turns out I'm yeah. actually a full-blown addiction. So. I was going to say, I don't know if they actually had to dub anything for you guys. I, know. Yeah. Yeah. I think they actually nailed it. <laughs> so that's what I was saying as I walked off. Yeah. To my left, and as you heard just pop in, is the effervescent and always welcome Chloe. Sylvia Bateman. Wow. And so Sylvia uh, will be taking part in the questions and jumping in as appropriate. And so, Sylvia, anything you'd like to add to the conversation? No, I just love when you guys ask questions so I get to interrupt Nathan and Nika. Oh, that's so awesome. I, love it. I, love I think it. Nika and I are wearing our same uniforms we wore for the first webinar about a year ago. It's right. Oklahoma hat and an Auburn hat. So. Yeah, not a whole lot changes around here. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're consistent. Well, hey, this month we're actually going to talk about ourselves for an hour. Absolutely. All, the whole time is going to be about us. Pretty much what I do. <laughs> all the time anyway. So. It's going to be awesome. But uh, what I mean by that is we're going to talk through Larry Osborne has written a book called Accidental Pharisees. And so us talking about ourselves is not a, necessarily a positive thing. But uh, we just actually finished reading this book as an equipping team. And it was really challenging for us. And so as we um, were going through the content, you know, planning out for the webinars, we were like, man, let's Let's hit pause on that and and double click on this book and just and talk through it just because it so much of it was so applicable for for our lives. And so, yeah, I think as even looking at the covers you put up there, I think if I were walking in a bookstore and I were to see this book, I think there's a part of me, the the sinful part of me that would have probably passed on it or maybe thought of somebody else who needed to read it. The truth is, is, we as modern readers, we tend to go through the Gospels and we hear this term Pharisees and we've been trained to kind of hiss and boo and go, those are the bad guys. But really, for the first century person who would have been seeing Jesus interact with them or reading about Jesus's interactions with them, they would have had a very different take on yeah. on the Pharisees. And so, Nate, why don't you walk us through just a history of the Pharisees, how they would have been viewed contemporaneously and then. A little bit of how uh, that might apply to the church today, of how sometimes in the church we might actually find ourselves in this camp more than we'd like to. Yeah, totally. I mean, the, the Pharisees have definitely gotten a bad rap today. I mean, you, you go into any kind of conversation. I mean, even calling someone a Pharisee is like, you know, people are kind of hold their breath and look around like, what's about to happen? You yeah. guys about to fight? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a good thing. It's worse than a your mama um, joke. <laughs> and almost as relevant <laughs> culturally. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, seriously. But to understand who they were, obviously, just like with anything, you always have to ask background questions. You always have to ask context questions. Who were these people? Where did they come from? 
Um, why, how would they have been perceived by people in the first century when Jesus uh, was born into the mess that he was born into? And to start that, just to walk through it very generally, back during the intertestamental period, so that's between Malachi and Matthew, there's about 400 years there that's often called the silent period, yeah. even though there's nothing silent about it. It's actually a really fascinating period of history. I would encourage yeah. anybody to check that out. And what but, it means by that, not silent, is we, we have lots of writings from that yeah, period. We, no we're doubt about pretty, it. pretty sure we know what was going on. Not pretty sure. We know what was going on during yep. that time between Malachi and Matthew. We don't have any biblical text right. between that time, which is why we call it silent period. But uh, there, there's a lot of noise coming yeah, from this Yeah, a lot years. of noise. And a lot of noise that's really helpful for us Absolutely. to understand and set the stage for the life of Jesus. So we need to study it. Um, but one of the things that happened was there was a uh, after Alexander the Great died and his kingdom split, the two major powers were the Egyptians and the Syrians. And for a while, the Egyptians ruled in Israel and it was a relatively peaceful time. But then um, around 175 B.C., the Syrians took over and a guy named Antiochus IV considered himself a god. And he set up a cultic worship practice in Israel for himself. So like required people to sacrifice to him. And then he actually set up an altar inside of the temple in Jerusalem, yep. inside the Holy of Holies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so if you want to take off. That is what it's entire, your mama joke. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, way, a, your way God worse. joke. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when that happened, though, there was a group of people that rebelled against him called the, the, the Maccabees. There's a much longer story, but I'm moving through this quickly. So but Judas Maccabees was kind of the William Wallace of the Jews. He was kind of brave heart for them. Yeah. And he drove out the Syrians. And out of that group, out of the, uh, the people who drove out the Syrians, there arose a group called the Hasidim. And uh, the Hasidim is just a, the Hebrew word that just means the faithful ones. They were the ones that were committed to Torah, to the scriptures, to any kind of threat of infidelity that would cause people to move away from Yahweh. They were uh, sometimes violently against that. Well, Judas's nephew took over after Judas died, and his nephew began to be a lot more friendly to some of these uh, outside practices that were bringing in Greek influences that were threatening the, the nation's fidelity to Yahweh. And so um, because he did that, there were two groups that rose out during during that time. One were called the Sadducees, and they were very friendly to – they wanted power. If you want yeah. to think about the Sadducees, they, they were after political power. They didn't care who had it. They were just going to cozy up to whoever had it so that they could keep it for themselves. That's a very general statement, but it's generally true. And then the, then the people who were more concerned with, about – being faithful to God, that that group broke off from the Hasidim and they became known as the separate ones, which is what the word Pharisee literally means. It just means separate ones. And because they were continually calling people to faithfulness to Yahweh in a very um, an increasingly pluralistic society that was being heavily influenced by Greek culture, then they started being persecuted. I mean, it was uh, they died a lot <laughs> at one point. Uh, one of the rulers that was ruling at the time executed 800 of them in one day yeah. um, because of rebellions that were rising up in order to try to keep the nation with a kind of a singular focus on faithfulness to God. And so anyway, um, ultimately, when Herod took the throne after the Romans came and uh, solved a kind of a Sadducean power struggle was going on and the Romans came in and then they installed Herod as the king in, in Israel. And at first, because 
um, the, the Pharisees supported Herod. He, they had a good relationship for a while. And then because of Herod's corruption and his impiety and not caring about that, they broke away from him as well. And that's, that sets the stage for Jesus being born into that mess. So um, when we think about it and translate all of that into the modern, our, our situation today, these people are us. Yeah. Like that's, that's the way you should. Jesus walking in and looking at the most, who you have valued as the most spiritually mature in your life. Maybe your spiritual hero, the person you think is most faithful to God. And that's the one that Jesus walks right up to and says, you whitewashed tomb, you brood of vipers, you have failed to see the heart behind this. And then he's like, hey, prostitute, come have dinner with me. And you're sitting here going, what? Crazy scandalous. Um, The way I think about it is these are the people that if somebody comes in like a prostitute or someone who is is clearly like doing things outside of the will of God, or if someone comes in and asks a question that you don't have the answer to or whatever, it's the person that when you're in that room and those things happen – it's the person that you look to to be like, what's the answer? Yeah. How do we respond? Go get Nate. What do Nate we do? Be who's able to help me. who's yeah. the authoritative figure on this? Yeah. And that those were the Pharisees. Like, without question, that's the way they were seen yeah. in the first century. So Jesus comes to them and tells them, hey, <laughs> yeah. hey, I think you've missed uh, the forest for the trees. I think you've you've missed the heart of what my father was after. And his rebuke was necessary. I mean, you had to shake them and go, hey, in all your desire to be fidelitous to God, you've missed the heart of what God was after. Mm-hmm. So that, that you know, we see that and we kind of like, oh yeah, you guys so missed it. I mean, you guys are mm-hmm. such idiots, right? We kind of, we always think of the ancients as dumber than we are. And then Larry Osborne writes this book, Accidental Pharisees, and he puts it into modern parlance and modern understanding. And I think as you read through this book, you begin to go, oh, my gosh, I do that, too. Right. Um, and so that's so let's let's dive into that, because what he does uh, to make it really simple. And again, we would highly recommend you read this book even after listening to this. It's a short read. moves very quickly. It's comical. We were laughing this morning at some of the lines that made us laugh the second time around. Um, but part so he goes part one just kind of sets up a little bit of what we just did. Who are the Pharisees? Um, they gave a little bit more of the, the background, which I think is super helpful. But then part two, when you think of Pharisees, of course, what you think of is pride. I mean, that's that's the word that we would come up with, pride and legalism, which we'll get to, but pride. So, so Nate, why don't you kick off of just, we think of the Pharisee pride as maybe not our pride, but then Larry talks about, hey, when comparison becomes arrogance. Yeah. yeah. And so let's dive into that. Yeah, I think what Larry initially is talking about with pride is how a lot of times we, as people, will, out of our zeal to follow God and be faithful to him, a lot of times we've set up these standards about what faithfulness um, should look like in yeah. situations. And we'll, we'll get to this more in, a, in, an, in another section. But a lot of times the standards that we set up for faithfulness look a lot like us. Right. We kind of like make ourselves the, you know, the, the, uh, if your quiet time is at 8 a.m. before totally, you have your bagel and totally. then you read this and here's your, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and we'll use we use terminology even here at Watermark. I mean, I think some of the things that we say can be easily misunderstood because we use terms like fully devoted follower of Jesus. Yeah, I have it tattooed know? on my form. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sylvia's got it tattooed. Well. Um, but it's a we use language like that. And because uh, I, I think for sure what we mean is, hey, this person is putting the lordship of Jesus over and above everything else in their life. You know, that doesn't mean like when we say fully devoted follower of Christ, we don't mean you're sinless and, you know, you don't have to str- you don't struggle with or anything. Or even mature or, beyond your years. I mean, yeah, there's totally. still a difference. Uh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Keep but going. I think but I think that type of language, though, because 
It can be easily misunderstood. It can become something like, oh, I am a fully devoted follower of Christ. And the very easy next step that can be taken is, and that person over there is not. Yeah because of X, Y, and Z. Right. And um, that's the danger of pride. Pride essentially is comparison. Again, if uh, let's say you're, you're proud about, you know, your car or something. Well, if you were the only one who had ever had a car ever, and there was nothing <laughs> to compare it to against, be proud about. Yeah. You, there would be nothing to be proud yeah. about, right? You're, yeah. it's, not that, it's not that you're proud that you have a car. It's, it, you're, you're proud about your car being nicer and more advanced and wherever than the next guys. Yeah. That's what gives you pride. Um, C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity that pride is the the great sin. And he also says this, which is massively convicting for me anyway, is he says pride is the thing that the more you have it in yourself, the more you dislike it in other people. Mm, And those are the kinds of things that I think as we start to talk about, hey, am I comparing myself against other Christians? Am I comparing myself against this unwritten standard of the way things should be in my own mind and then not recognizing that the lens I'm viewing people through is not fair. It doesn't have all the information. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the information was, that was, you know, I was kind of reading through the book and going, gosh, do I do this? Do I do this? And then he gave a really good anecdote where he's going, Hey, you've got two guys, right? You've got Bob and Jack or whatever their names were. And he's like, Bob is even tempered and got a wife who loves him and he's doing well and all that. And you kind of look at him and you're like, okay. And then Jack is the kind of guy that flies off the handle. Yep. He loses yep. his temper and, he goes, what we want to do in our pride is we want to compare the two and go, clearly Bob is more right. mature. And he goes, but the truth is we don't know their hearts and we don't know what's going on in life. And he goes, Bob, Bob might have been plateauing in a spiritual walk for the last five years. That Bob is just an even killed guy that yeah. would have been even killed prior to even knowing Jesus. And and then yeah. Jack is the guy who he's been taking leaps and mm-hmm. bounds in his walk mm-hmm. and is on the up and to the right, as we would say, if we can even measure spiritual growth in that way, which I don't think we can. But and he's and he's just going in this pridefulness. We sort of we think we have enough information to look at these external values and be able to make a judgment as to who's more mature, who's more fully devoted, mm-hmm. who's more mm-hmm. whatever. And that that pride, I think, is what the Pharisees were were also doing. What we can tend to do is just, hey, I'm I'm better than so and so when I don't have a clue uh, what's going on. So back to your car illustration, like, oh, look at my. My Jeep Wrangler, and it's like, well, how much money do you make? Well, yeah, that makes sense. But mm-hmm. that guy over there, first of all, is driving a Bentley. So are you really wanting to compare? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that guy over there has got a Jeep Wrangler, but he also makes half the money you do. He's just better at saving money. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so oh. it's like, why would we do that? Yeah, again, again, in Mere Christianity, Lewis, um, C.S. Lewis talks about a factory A and factory B. Mm-hmm. And I, this is so important when thinking about the spiritual life and, and participating in discipleship relationships with one another. Is that like, uh, who are the two guys' names? Bob and Jack. Bob and Jack. Yeah. So Bob is factory A. Yeah. Bob Bob was given a predisposition that gives him an advantage of looking more put together yeah. than Jack does. Yeah. Right? Jack is factory B. Jack started with nothing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, Bob started with uh, all of the materials to put together a factory that should produce a certain type of good mm. um, or product. And and so a lot of times we compare the products of what mm. comes out of their lives, but we don't consider the raw material that they were given. Yeah. And so it could be what this is the crazy part is it could be that Bob with factory A was get was started with the type of materials that should produce this type of product. But Jack was given nothing. So the fact that Jack produces anything at all is a miracle. miracle. Yeah, right. It should be celebrated. And, and, and what's funny is the guy that should be producing this top of the line product, but isn't 
can easily look down on the guy who's producing a lower grade product, but it's a miracle that that guy's producing anything at all. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's coming to the table and he's looking at Jack and he's going, hey, that guy is a trophy of grace mm. and is way more advanced than this other dude who's producing a higher level product. Yeah, Bob you, is you the worst. I mean, I'm so much better than Bob. No, no I'm kidding, kidding. Yeah, but it gets good. at the like, hey, where are people starting from? Let's give people grace yeah. and understand um, what's going on there versus um, just a flat line, blind comparison of that. that yeah, I think thing. the way to be to avoid the Phariseeism in this one is to is to stop assuming that we're God and we know everything no, no, and then just get it. to yeah. know people, celebrate yeah. victories, yeah. Uh, celebrate growth. We had someone write in, too, and just they referred to the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18 mm -hmm. and just wanted to know y'all's thoughts on, hey, do you feel like that's applicable and how you're addressing this situation as well? Which one? Oh, the Pharisee. So he also told the parable of some who trust in themselves more righteous and treat others with contempt. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and another a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God... I thank you that I am not like yeah, the other yeah, men. This yeah. is exactly, uh, I think, a, a perfect picture of what we're talking about here. Um, of just, I think we, as as hideous as that picture is, right? That some of us read that and we go, "I would never walk into Watermark and go, God, thank you for not making me like that woman down there." Mm -hmm. We would think that we wouldn't, but the truth is, I think I more insidiously might go, "God, I'm so much more mature than her. Mm -hmm. Thank God I'm in this church mm -hmm. to help her, mm -hmm. right?" And just yeah. go. Whoa, yeah, yeah, whoa. Yeah, and so I think yeah. that is a perfect picture. And I think we read that and sometimes we're like, man, I'm not like those Pharisees. And I think more times than not, uh, as God reveals who has eyes to see and ears to hear, I think sometimes that, that might be us. Yeah, I would say one more point on this before we move on. I would say this, that that a lot of times there are certain sins that get confessed. And they have more of a shock value to yeah. them, you yeah, know. Absolutely. Um, any anytime somebody does something that's like just blatantly illegal or or sexual sin is always the one that kind of yeah jaws like, drops. And so somebody comes in and confesses an, an a, you know a, adulterous relationship or pornography Pornog or something yeah. like that, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, how could God ever steal you from that, you know? When a lot of times people will confess pride, and it's yeah. like, hey, I've really been struggling with pride lately. It's more like, oh, it's, you know. Yeah, you, me too. Yeah, thanks for, yeah, you know, thanks. okay. But you have to understand, like, for, for God, pride is the top sin. Mm, yeah. Like, it's the sin that, that because what we're doing is we're saying, hey, um, I know more than God. I can do it better than God. I need to sit in God's place instead of him, um, which is really what we're saying. And and any time that manifests itself, that's where the Lord is like, hey, uh, this this is probably is the top tier sin. Mm -hmm. um, if we're if we're ranking them, yep. you know, at, uh, in order of severity, it's it's a big deal. Yeah. And so I think we need to think about it as such. That's great. Uh, you know, part. So that's part two. Uh, part three, what we see with the Pharisees and we see very clearly in the scriptures is this exclusivity. Right. Mm -hmm. So we belong to an elite club of Christians. Uh, you kind of have to get the A on the test to get entrance mm -hmm. into it. Um, and so, Nate, let's talk about that. I mean, one of the subtitles is just raising the bar to keep the riffraff out. And it yeah. makes you laugh, but then you stop laughing once you see yourself in the pages. So. Yeah, this was this was one that when I read it, I've, you know, I thought back on my life. And I definitely identified with this chapter uh, or this, this section um, just because I think that for someone like me who who has a high value on theological correctness, and the integrity of the message of the gospel and the integrity of the people of God. And you kind of, you know, it becomes 
um, the the intention is good to to try to say, hey, we want to we want to guard this. You know, we yeah. don't want, especially in an, like I said, in an age of pluralism, where for the ancients it was the Greek influence. For us today, it's the influence of social agendas by groups that are not Christian, by you know even people within the church who are teaching things that we would consider not you know orthodox. Yeah. And and we're we're sitting there going, well, hey, we you know we've got to push that out in order to keep this something that's pure. And in the midst of that, I think that the unintentional consequence of that is we can start to look at people like they're the enemy. Yeah. Like they don't like you don't belong because you don't measure up to this standard. And that's really dangerous. Yeah. I think that's great. I, I remember Larry Osborne actually came and, and spoke to us as a staff, which is a treat to have. And I remember he was saying that the church has to make sure they understand the difference between disciple making and leadership training. Yeah, that's good. And I remember him saying, hey, it is absolutely appropriate in your leadership training to go, hey, we're looking for a little bit more mature, a little bit farther down the road in your walk with the Lord. He's like, but disciple making, that is for everyone. Mm -hmm. And he goes, and sometimes what the church does, they confuse the two and they sort of look at people wanting to find the most mature. And those are the ones welcomed into programs within the church. And so he, he had a very clear part that to me was convicting where he just talked about, you know, and because I'm a little bit bent like you, Nate, there's always more to do, more to more to try, more to learn, more to more to more to more to. Mm -hmm. Right. You kind of start developing discipleship programs around your own personal philosophy of discipleship, yep. which means more for everybody under you. Yeah. And, uh, and so he's just going, gosh, there was more sin. And so like the moment you take a break, it's like, gosh, well, I guess you don't really want to mortify the flesh as much as I do. And right. and then he goes and then it was almost as if I felt like there was an error in the Bible because Jesus would say things like rest and burden is light and yoke is easy. And he's like wait, what? And, and so I think that's a good, uh, maybe bar for us to check is just going is every time that we're discipling people or around people and really Jesus disciples, people forgive me, Nate, for using the wrong terminology, but uh, <laughs> loving people towards Christ is our, are the burdens we're placing on them, keeping them out of a group. We're just kind of going, Hey, this is what it means to be a part of the church at watermark. And since you're not willing to do this heavy lifting, I'm not sure you're welcome right, here. Right. Uh, I think or that's you, a, Or even if you are welcome here, you don't really fit. Yeah. You're on the JV. So we'll go ahead yeah, and put yeah, you at the yeah. end of the bench and, yeah. and kind of treat you that way and celebrate everybody else. But you know, Hey, you can come and listen that, you know, we'll, we'll, the doors are always open, but uh, are you in the fold? Are you with the rest of it? Are you fully devoted? Are you running yeah, the race? Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you look, which, which in a lot of, a lot of times, frankly, that means, do you look like me? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's, so he said on page 69 of his book, uh, he's, he, I'm just going to read a little bit. He said, my expectation that every Christian should become a superstar disciple, which means radical, passionate leader, Bible scholar, evangelist, person who feeds the hungry, practices selfless generosity, makes, makes a difference internationally. I'm tired overseas. just hearing all this. <laughs> That was unrealistic and unbiblical. I had no room in my theology for Paul's admonition that we make it our ambition to lead a quiet life, hmm. to mind our own business, to work with our hands. He's talking about First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. He said, verses like that made no sense to me. It sounded like a description of a wimpy Christian, the very kind of person I preached against and looked down on. Hmm. So I put verses like that out of my mind and focused on the ones that fit better with my image of a Christian warrior kicking Satan's butt and advancing <laughs> the kingdom. But the result was not an advance of the kingdom. It was a heavy load of free floating guilt. Hmm. You see, no matter what people did, it was never enough. There was always more to do if we really love Jesus and we wanted to be all that he called us to be fully devoted. Right. Um, and, and that's where I think even some of our, um, language and, and the way that we, that we frame what faithfulness to Jesus looks like 
needs to be measured against verses like 1 Thessalonians 4.11, where Paul says, look, I want you to make it your ambition. Because most of the time when people think of ambition, they think of charge the hill, go, 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 yeah. you know. Um, so he's going to go do, you know, unashamed this weekend, which is a great ministry. We're not, you know, saying that she should not do that, but there needs to be room for people to go. And my ambition this weekend is to go live a quiet life and to mind my own business and to work with my hands. And what I'm saying is you're in a healthy spot where the evangelist can look at the person who's living a quiet life and say, God bless you. Yeah. And where the person who's living a quiet life can look at the evangelist and go, God bless you. We need you. you That's great. It's a, yeah, I love it. I would go into the gifts of the body, but I think we're going to get to that. Yeah. And I would, a bit farther I would down. just say to, I'm going to reiterate this a couple of times. One, cause it's my, one of my favorite sayings of Jesus and two, because it's so applicable here, but the call of Jesus is always, always, always come to me. Mm. Everybody who's weary and burdened, yeah. and I will give you rest. Yeah. Um, take my yoke on, on you and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? Which gets to the point, I think, um, that you were driving at, Nike, And that is, look, if we're, if we're putting something on someone that is extra biblical, that is a heavy load, for that person, then we are yeah. not being like Jesus no. and not representing him. Well, which I mean, directly really bleeds into the next part. It's, these are all, they really do go together because what you're talking about is legalism, right? So this is, if you were to ask me, Hey, what's a Pharisee? I'd go, Oh, they're proud and legalistic, right? Mm -hmm. So these yep. are kind of the two that I would, I would pick up on. It's just legalism. What, one part of that is what you were just talking about. These extra rules, these extra fences, these extra things mm -hmm. that we place. And we have this, he talks about the danger of a litmus test Christianity of sort of like, can you do the this trick that some Christians can do? And if so, then, hey, you really are a mature Christian. I was right. telling Nate, and I'll just be an utterly painfully transparent with you all. <laughs> I remember I was so so arrogant. I still am, by the grace of God, he's working on that. But I remember working at Canica Camps when I was, I think I was like 22, and I was on leadership. And this young girl, and her humility comes and runs up to me, and she's got to lead a devotional in 10 minutes. And she's like, what? I don't have anything prepared. What can I lean on? I go, why don't you just – you know, give them Jeremiah 29, 11, and then just talk about, you know, the Lord's will in their life. And she was like, okay, what's 29, 11? And I was like, what a sinner. I cannot <laughs> believe she doesn't know, know this obscure verse from an obscure book in the old, you know what I'm saying? And so I walk away and in my humility, uh, gossiped about her. And so I went and told another girl and said, oh, can you believe that this girl said her name? Did not know Jeremiah 29:11, and then the girl looks at me and she goes, "What's Jeremiah 29:11?" <laughs> you would think at that point God would have been really uh, giving me the. And no, I walked away going, "I'm so glad I'm not like them." And so uh, I look back on that story with some laughter, grateful for the Lord's probably, but I'm I shudder to think what am I gonna, what are those stories I'm gonna be telling five years from now about who I am today of just. You know, in my mind, it was everybody knows that verse. I mean, that's what I was thinking. Like, this is such a for I know the plans I have for you, blah, blah, you know, sort of this. And yet, that is a perfect example of what he's talking about in this litmus Christianity, this legalism, that there's an extra set of rules. Hey, you know, Christianity is believing in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection for the atonement of your sins. And make sure you memorize, like, the top 10 Christian verses. Yep, yep. And by the way, Nike gets to decide what those are, yep, right? Totally. And, and um, go to Kennecott Camp. And go to Kennecott Camp. I came here and I had no idea what that was. <laughs> and I was like, felt. I won't even tell you about the, the <laughs> JB-ness that I felt towards Pine Cove and other places where people's lives were being yeah. radically changed. And I'm like, well, yeah, not bad for a JV camp. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. full disclosure, this is um, Nate and I are recovering legalists. We, oh, yeah. This is an area that the book, Every Word 
smack me upside the head and pray that it continues to do so. So, Nate, yeah, I would, let's I would talk say, about that. Yeah, I would say a couple of things about the litmus test. One is to go back to the beginning and, and context of the Pharisees. So one of the reasons that they, they got off so much was during that really post-exile, and this is I'm, I'm assuming maybe a little bit too much um, about people's knowledge about this, but basically when uh, there was a period in Israel's history where Babylon came and carried them off into exile. Um, so there were Israelites that went to Babylon and lived there for like 100 years. Um, some, some Israelites went to uh, Assyria. Some of them went to Egypt, but they just kind of dispersed. What part of the Bible is that in? in the that's, Old that's in the Old Testament. That's right. A lot of the Old Testament is about that. Pro the prophets are writing during this time, all that stuff. Anyway, so what that did was when the when the temple was destroyed, then that required people to set up these, you know, uh, smaller temples, so to speak, called synagogues. And so that the synagogue became really the center for worship. And what it did, because Torah um, or the first five books of the Bible and really the entire uh, you know corpus of the Old Testament, because people didn't necessarily have access to that anymore, there began to develop an oral tradition during that time. And the oral tradition was was uh, a pretty faithful way to keep the written tradition, but then also, because this was all written down, the oral tradition is actually written down, but but uh, it became something where they were like, oh, so, so scripture says you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. And when it says you shouldn't work on the Sabbath, this is what that means. Right. And they would you unpack. You can't walk more than a mile. You exactly. Can't, you know, right. Certain, yeah, right. When, it, when it says that, you know, this is the way you, it says this. And what that means is this. So it became a really a, com, a personal commentary in a lot of ways of rabbis who were teaching their interpretation of what Scripture meant. Yeah. Right. And so what you saw was if you don't measure up to my interpretation of the written text, then you you don't you're not in the club kind mm -hmm. of thing. And. And so when Jesus hit the scene, what the what the Pharisees had done is they had taken the written the written text of Scripture and they had elevated um, the oral tradition of what that meant onto the same authoritative level. Yeah. So it was it was written um, Scripture and also my interpretation of that. And both of them were authoritative. Yeah. And frankly, guys, and this is to your point, Nika, that was a long way to around to come to your point, but. To your point, we do the same thing, Absolutely. right? Yeah. We we when when we read scripture and and pull out certain values and texts out of the text, and then say and then uh, elevate those without uh, consulting the full counsel of scripture and having a holistic, um, kind of robust bibliology that considers all of scripture. When we pull things out and make verses fit the values and and norms that we want to push, right. then you're um, all of a sudden you're taking your interpretation of something. And then if people don't fit into that, then they're outsiders. Yeah, he talks right? about uh, when he became a Christian, he understood there are two tracks, right? There's the standard stripped down Christian and there was the gold standard package, yep, right? And he yep. goes in 20 years ago, it was about what was in your fridge, right? You read verses, Hey, don't be drunk. And so then it became, well, then don't drink, don't it, drink all. it all. Yep. And he goes, and now it's a little bit less. So what's in your fridge? Cause you got to have a microbrewery and share the gospel in a bar. If you're a Christian, <laughs> but right. it's like, what are you driving? I mean, is your, yeah, yeah. what are you, what are you wearing? What are you, and sort of these questions. And it's really interesting how we can tend to do that, how we, and the danger of that one is it's not biblical. I mean, there's a yeah. huge problem with that, but two, uh, part of what Jesus is rebuking that is the law was always intended to be both regulatory and 
revelatory. Right. So regulatory in that this is how you should behave, but revelatory as in this is who God is. That's you right. can see God through it. So when you start adding fences around the law, mm-hmm. suddenly the yoke you're putting on people, they cannot see God. Yeah, it distorts the image. Of yeah, God. absolutely. Yeah. And so, and, and he's also saying the big example that he gives, which I love, is there was a law that said, hey, you cannot go into the temple or into the tabernacle and eat the showbread. And yet David, his troops are famished mm-hmm. and he goes in. And he does it. And it's just seen as a good thing. And and so Jesus gives this example. And he's like, is this a bad thing or a good thing? Knowing the Pharisees are not going to speak ill of David. And he's going, hey, you've missed the people for the law. And God has always put the people above the law. Yeah. And so yeah, and he's yeah, like, yeah, and you know, use the example. He's like, if your animal falls in the ditch, are you not going to go save that animal? How dare you get on to me for healing on the Sabbath? And yet, I mean, we, you know, we see this all the time. And I remember in my young days being wanting to be pure wanting yeah, like yeah. the pharisees to be um fidelitous yeah, the to the lord good. Yeah, yeah i so i had a no rated r policy mm. and i remember when the passion of christ came out i was in college <laughs> and i'm having this absolute conflict <laughs> and i'm like whoa but christians don't watch rated r movies yeah, and all right. my friends are like hey we've all been watching rated r movies yeah. you're the only one not having fun on a yeah, friday yeah, night yeah. and i'm like well do i go do i not go and just the, the hilarity of how stupid i was and I can't yet, watch jesus yeah and i and i and i feel for the pharisees in this way because it my my rule my extra law came with a real desire to honor the lord mm-hmm. and yet it clouded out my judgment it clouded out god's character god's looking at me going child child oh, yeah. i am not a rule maker for the sake of rules yeah. i have put boundaries in place for your good for your prospering mm-hmm. would you please look at me mm-hmm. and especially for new testament believers we have the spirit which guides and leads us yep. we don't need extra rules we need to abide yep. so that god himself will tell us right or left which mm-hmm. way to go do you go see the movie or not so i was like Hey, should I go see bad moms? You know, and I didn't have to. I can yeah. just ask the Lord. And the answer was no, gang, that you should not go see bad moms. Yeah, right. And, and that's why. But you bring up a, a, an interesting point because it's crazy how the same scripture can have two totally different applications sure. out of that one passage. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like Romans 14, um, some of the other places where it talks about. Yeah, First Corinthians, um, not the yeah. food sacrifice idol. Yeah, food sacrifice yeah. idols, like, do you eat this or not? Do you drink alcohol yeah. or not? Do you, and and when people ask me that, like, hey, do we drink alcohol? I'm, I, it totally depends. depends. Absolutely. Like when I'm around someone who um, is an alcoholic, I don't drink no, alcohol. That is a clear it would be wrong no. for me to yeah, drink alcohol. Absolutely. But when I'm around someone like like I was for you know six years in the military, I was an infantryman, and everybody drinks alcohol. Yeah. You know, it's it's part of the culture. Right. And it, it's almost like it's weird. I mean, you came out of that too, Sylvia. Yeah. I mean, your dad's the same same mm-hmm. way. Uh, that if you if you don't participate in that, right. then it's then you're you're losing ground, right? Yeah. And so it's weird. It's like, well, which one is it? Well, it depends. Yeah, a good a good way to just start sniffing out your legalism, too, is you think about the context in which it was born. Then you go, would this work in Europe? Would this work in Africa? Would this have worked 100 years ago? Right. Or is this a culturally adapted thing that I'm holding on to? And those are really significant. So we have these universal theological principles that we draw out of scripture and then how we apply them is very much an art and a way that we abide in the spirit and he shows and guides us. And so when you start putting these hard and fast rules in place, they tend to crumble when your context changes, when your life stage changes, when you meet somebody who pokes a hole in it and the whole thing scaffolding comes falling down. And, um, and so I, for this one, it is, uh, here's what I'd say really good intentions make for legalistic rules. And yet, 
those good intentions remove you from the revelation of God, which is his perfect and holy will for our lives. Yeah, what's crazy is legalists in, in this way, talking about good intentions, um, legalists never see themselves as legalists. Sure, right? yeah. It's, it, for them, it's always obedience. Yeah, right. And I'm just, I'm just being obedient. I'm just being obedient. And, and we would say, well, in, in, in some cases, you're right. I mean, there are black and white. Yeah. Parts of scripture that sure. this is sin, right, this sin, is wrong. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But when you start to apply that broadly to everything, then then I think you're misunderstanding what yeah. obedience is. And yeah. I would say this one last thing before we move on is, look, guys, and I, man, if you don't remember anything about today, I would ask you to remember this. Um, the litmus test of Jesus. There's only there's only really one most reliable one. And that litmus test is love. Mm. I could speak with the tongue of men and angels, but if I don't love then I'm a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal, right? Mm. I could do all of this stuff to make you be impressed with how much I know and how much I've accomplished for yeah. the kingdom of God, right? But if I don't love you, then I am not in the Jesus way. And so I, I think that's a great, it's a question I ask myself often. And that is just, hey, in, in my zeal for doing things for Christ and for representing Christ, am I loving people? And is my, is my, Intimacy and affection for God growing. Um, I mean, look, I'll just Jesus is the one who said it in Matthew 22 verses 34 to 40. I believe the people come and try to trap him. And he says the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second one is like it. And, and really, I think flows flows from it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. All of the laws, all of it, hangs every on every one of them hangs on those two commands. And so if you're not loving people, then yeah, You've missed yeah, it. <laughs> something's you gone wrong. It. All right, Nika. So the next one is idolizing the past. Yeah. And this is where idealism distorts reality. He talks a lot about the New Testament church here and kind of the good old days. Why don't you, mm. why don't you speak to that? What were some of your thoughts? On yeah. That? So it's, uh, man, this is something that Thankfully, I was able to actually point at other people because I don't ever do this. But no, I, you know, rose colored glasses. We tend to think about the past and we tend to think uh, Huckleberry days and days gone by are really great. And there were certainly some wonderful things about it. But the Lord is really taking me on a journey of understanding racial reconciliation, understanding racism in America. And so this one was really sensitive to my heart and that. Um, depending on the context that you're in, you can sometimes look back on a time period that was really good for you, mm -hmm. but probably, or no, I'm just going to say, especially in America, if, if you're not white, then maybe 50 years ago, wasn't that good for you. In yep. fact, he's got, a, he's got a quote on page 120 where he says, the same goes for naysayers, romanticized memories of the past. Granted, if you were a white suburbanite, there was a lot to like in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. But if you were a black man living in Birmingham, a Jew trying to join the L.A. Country Club or a Japanese-American family trying to recover from a forced stint of an internment camp, those were not the good old days or so innocent or biblically aligned. Mm -hmm. And so we tend to uh, and I say we as a collective church unit, and I think as a collective human unit, we tend to always think about I do this. I, I'll be like, oh, that was such a fun year. And then my friends are like. No. And they like remember all the hard times. I'm like, oh, I was just remembering the one vacation I took. And they're like, OK, that year was not a good year for you. And or that was not a good place for you. That was not. And so I think that in idolizing the past, I think it, it requires that we have some sobriety and it requires that we look outside of ourselves. Right. And I think what the Pharisees could have easily done this in Jesus' day where they're like, hey, when when Antiochus was defaming our God, we rose up. And that's a really good time in their history. Yep. And yet. Today, when they're going, hey, the law and the oral law are on equal standing, he's mm -hmm. going, you've missed it. Right. You've missed it. You've missed it. Yes, back then you were really fidelitous, but it wasn't good for everybody. You've missed the boat. And so 
I think in idolizing the past, it's important that we see it not just through our rose-colored lenses, but we take those off and go, was that a really good time? Was the Bible actually being used appropriate? Was Jesus being glorified in everything that was being done, not just in my life, but in the lives of the people around me? Or are there amends that need to be made for past sins and past transgressions? And I think this is an area where the church in America is going to have to take ground yep, in the next yep. in the next five, ten, fifteen, twenty years if we're going to continue. So it's. Um, I think I think one of the dangers that of idolizing the past is you do you you have this our one our imaginations are really powerful. Absolutely. And so yeah. people have this picture, this idyllic picture in their mind of it needs to be like that again. Mm. And and what it does is if you're a part of a subgroup like that, that where the good old days are in the past. You're viewing the present and the future through that lens. Yeah. And so where ground does need to be taken for the kingdom of God, um, a lot of times if you can't let go of that, then you can't see you're blind to right. how Jesus is moving around. Right. you. And in, in really you know, severe cases of that can actually fight against right. the way that Jesus is I, I mean, I see that us. fighting a lot. You know, I get asked a lot to talk about millennials. I'm in the millennial camp. And yeah, I <laughs> mean, yeah, I know we are the worst generation. <laughs> uh, it's fine. We hear it all the time. And But the truth is, I look at people and they go, hey, well, you know, our fathers had jobs at 19 and had wives. And so and I'm like, you're right, you're right, you're right. There's a lot about millennials that that needs to be rebuked and corrected. And then I just soberly look at them and go, but listen to me. We are the future of the church, and we're leaving at alarming rates. Whether you like it or not, those are your future elders. Those are your future pastors. Those are your future deacons. And so if you're going to continue to lament that the past bygone days are gone and not look at the future and go, we've got work to do, and there's a lot about millennials that's to be commended. It's, it's great. Yeah. We are the best. I mean, we think it anyways. And so, uh, we did a whole webinar. Yeah, and so, you know, and this is an example I gave is that, you know, somebody the other day was like, oh, millennials, they just think they're, they're entitled to everything. I mean, they were given so many trophies. And I go, well, yeah, part of why we were given so many trophies is because our dads weren't there. And the divorce rate was, I mean, we're the generation of divorced parents and the generation of Columbine. So, Forgive us for needing a trophy because sure. our entire worlds were falling apart around us. You guys had both your parents there filming the game and being excited about maybe not filming. I don't know what people had 20 years ago. but My dad filmed my game. There you go. Yeah. And so and that's what, a little bit of what I'm talking about is that we have a distorted reality when, in fact, the present is where Jesus is asking us to, one, make amends for whatever we need to in the past. Now abide in the present and when we look to the future go how can we help and yeah. and move ahead in this there's also a big push in his book in this section about being realistic about um the way things have always been yeah right yeah. um that that uh a lot of times you, you'll hear or at least i hear in certain circles oh we need to get back to the axe two right, church right. and all this stuff yeah. it's like man the axe church was like exactly what you were just yeah. describing they were they so were excluding racist. an entire group of people yeah i'm like can we get past axe 10 when they finally let cornelius and his family i know in? right and, i mean but until then like yeah. they were fighting yeah and and i mean there was all kinds of dysfunction people were withholding was, money and not only that but I mean, they were a charismatic church. I mean, they were things that today that we would, frankly, be really uncomfortable about. Yeah. He's got a really funny line in there where he's like, hey, they shared everything. And some of my Republican friends might have been uncomfortable with that. <laughs> I put ha next to it. And, uh, you know, just kind of some of those funny lines that, yeah, we tend to idolize it. And then when you really read what was going on in Acts 2 or, no. or in the Corinthian church or, you know, where he's sitting here literally having to tell them, please don't be sleeping with the woman that your dad's sleeping totally. with. And you're kind of going. Yeah, that church really had it together, yeah. you know. And, yeah. But in another way, I think when you view it appropriately, it gives me, in, in, anyway, a lot of hope. Absolutely. Because, and like Ecclesiastes says, there is nothing new under the yeah. sun. Every single generation 
has all kinds of issues that it has to deal with. And, and, and I think too, it also keeps you from being a, uh, someone who thinks about the future in a really pessimistic way where the sky is always falling. It's the end of the world. Things are coming to an end, you know, and you're like, no, it's always been like yeah, that. Yeah, somebody you know? was sleeping with an animal. They had to talk about bestiality. We're going to be all totally. right. Totally. Yeah. That's why, I like, when Jim Downing came a few weeks ago and spoke at the porch, this is a 103-year-old Pearl Harbor survivor who um, is a really faithful guy. And I loved one of the things he said. Is he was just like, hey, I, um, he said, I think we are in the golden years of Christianity mm. in the world. Wow. People have people are coming to Christ in rates they've, that have we've never seen mm. before. You know, and and we're enjoying a lot of freedoms right now mm. that people in the past just never had. And so it's a it's an interesting perspective change away from kind of the sky is falling yeah. mentality yeah. to just realize like, no, Jesus is moving. He's always been moving. Yeah, the gates of hell still won't prevail yeah, against it, his church. Exactly it will right. continue to move. And All right. So that. now the next section is the quest for uniformity, how uniformity destroys um, unity. So yeah. let, let's talk through that a little bit. Yeah, it's good. I, I'll still, I'll just quote Tony Evans. One of the best things I've, I heard him say when I was doing a study is he talks about the church is sometimes uh, is after the goal of sameness. And he's like, no, the church needs to be after oneness. Mm-hmm. Like, that we have a oneness in Christ, that we are brothers and sisters. But a sameness tends to kill the nuance that Jesus himself gave to the church. And so there's going to be different expressions of worship. There are going to be different expressions of gifts. There are going to be, there's going to be areas that we disagree. I mean, Nate, this is such a perfect example for you and I, that we agree on so much. And yet mm-hmm. the areas that we disagree on is where we like to poke at each other. Mm-hmm. And yet you're my brother. I love partnering with you in ministry. I have to remind you where you're wrong a ton, <laughs> um, but also am, am, have been shaped by you that some yes. of my thinking over the last five years, I've, I've moved away from some of my previously held beliefs and been sharpened by you. You mean you repented? Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but I've, uh, no, yeah, but yeah, I have repented, have, have, um, have taken on some, some of your ideas and hopefully vice versa. And I think yeah, that yeah, what sure. we tend to see within the church is if there's not, uh, where we need to have unity, we ask for uniformity and where uniformity is demanded, there tends to be quarrels and fighting. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we, I've heard you say, and I agree with is, is that, uh, after some theological education, you tend to start figuring out what hills you're willing to die on, yep. what fights you're willing to enter into. And those become a lot fewer. And they become a lot fewer for the sake of the yeah. unity. For this. And so one of the things he said is so many people look at Christianity and they're like, this is supposed to be attractive. And yet the brothers and sisters are, mm-hmm. or the, he goes, the siblings can't stop fighting. Yep. And I think if we would if we would champion unity above uniformity, then that leaves room for disagreement. That mm-hmm. leaves room for uh, for I mean, that leaves room for me to see the beauty in the differences, mm-hmm. to see beauty in the ways that you're not like me, because I'm going, praise God, because if everybody was like me, th- this would not. I mean, there are so yeah. many gifts I don't have, so many things I don't understand, so many ways that I am not like. And um, so anyways, what would yeah, you say? The goal, the goal is definitely not uniformity. And this is where. I think there can be a, um, especially when we're a part of a church that does, I would say, a lot of things right. I mean, I, I, I think that's true. But in our rightness, we have to be careful not to look at other churches who do, do things differently from us and look down on them right. as, hey, if you only did it this way, then you would mm. you know, also experience this sweeping success right. or whatever. We have to recognize the, the need for diversity among the body and think of the church less about a castle on a hill um, on one hill right and more about thinking of it like a mosaic that's Mm. put up on on a wall that hey every each piece of the mosaic is one stone that that looks a certain way 
And that stone, if you took out that one stone and said, this is the most, this one stone is the mosaic, then you might see a, you're going to see a fraction of the picture. Yeah. And, and in some way you're right. Like that is the mosaic, but it's incomplete. Right. It needs the rest of them well, in order the to see the, to, in order to see the beauty yeah. of the mosaic, you have to have those other expressions. Now, what we're not saying is where scripture is clear right. and is right. straightforward. And cause some, look, I'm, you know, we'll be the first ones to say there is stuff worth separating over their stuff Absolutely. we're fighting over um but even in those even in us uh, maybe even use a different word than fighting there, there's a there's a way to to have these conversations that is going to result in a breakaway from a certain idea um, or expression of what people would call the church and but even in that there's a way to do that that's yeah. gentle that's kind that's understanding yeah. um, that honors christ absolutely I, you know i think that uh, one of the things that was difficult for me to understand was I would meet two Christians that I deeply, deeply respected and admired and knew they were much smarter than me and they would disagree on something. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, but how, how, like one of you's yeah, wrong, which yeah, one of you's yeah. wrong. And I was on this constant quest for wrongness yeah. and rightness. And I think what I learned in that is that um, I find myself saying this to going, Hey, there is wrong. And then there's, I don't agree with that, but that's a, that's a morally, biblically, theologically defendable position yeah. that you hold. Yep. Yeah. And um, then there's things outside of that where I'd go, no, you're wrong. Jesus rose from the dead. You cannot call yourself a Christian if you think he's still in the yeah, tomb. Totally, right? totally. And, and so there's things like that. And then there are things that I go, hey, that's a that's a defensible position. But that's so far away from what I believe that I, I don't see myself partnering with you mm -hmm. and starting a church anytime mm -hmm. soon. But mm -hmm. but I still think you're part of this mosaic that we're all that we have been grafted into that I did not create, that I am not the keeper. And that's of, the crucial and, point is to recognize that, because a lot of times people say, I can't partner with you. Therefore, yeah, you're the enemy. Right. And, and we have to just acknowledge even if Jesus shows up in in veiled ways in other expressions of the church, we have to recognize that he's there. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we would say in, in one way, like, well, we think your theology is confused on these points, but Jesus is still among you. And they're looking back at us going, we think your theology <laughs> yeah. is confused <laughs> yeah. in certain ways. And we also believe that Jesus yeah. is among you. And we're celebrating that. Now, that doesn't mean we see eye to eye on everything, but there's at least that underlying graciousness that we're extending to people who are just yeah. not like us. And it also forces you to maintain a posture of humility that goes, someday no I'm going to get to heaven no and there's, and I'm going to go, Jesus, was, did I get a hundred on this? And he's no. going to be like, oh, child. No, for everybody, the oh, answer child. to that question is no. No. At, at any <laughs> given point, like, like N.T. Wright said, he said, at any given point, 20% of my theology is totally wrong. Yeah. I just don't know what 20% it is, yeah. you know, and that type of. A humble posture, I think, is required for, for people good. not to slip into um, this kind of thing. So the last one, which I think is is really important, we've got a few minutes left, um, but why don't we just talk, Mike, why don't you talk briefly about gift projection? Where does this show up? Yeah, what does it look like? Yeah, so this is, uh, gosh, it's funny. You see churches that have a, a strong personality, and they have certain gifts, and then you tend to find the church all values that <laughs> yeah, gift, right? right. And so if an evangelist <laughs> starts a church, evangelism is their gift. If, yeah. a, if a theologian starts a church, theology is their gift. And I see this in myself where I – the church tends to elevate the upfront gifts. I mean, yep. the gifts of evangelism, the gifts of teaching, the gifts of, um, you know, worship, th those upfront gifts tend to be valued more, which means if you don't have it, I'm not sure you're as mature as right, I am. Right. Um, and I need to make you more like me, mm. forgetting that the gifts are part of the beauty of the body. The gifts are part of what the spirit himself gives yep. out yep. as a part of how we do ministry. The and evangelist so, needs the contemplative. Absolutely. Thinker. Absolutely. And vice versa. And vice versa. Yep. Absolutely. And so I, 
my hope and my prayer is that the Lord will continue to reveal this to me. I mean, Kelsey Inman, who's on the equipping team, I tell people all the time, I think they think I'm being facetious, but she is truly the reason why the trains stay on the tracks. And if we did not have Kelsey, Gigi and I know, we would not have anything. And so y'all be a hot mess. Yeah. So (laughs) while I might be on stage getting visible credit for a lot of what we do, I hope and pray that the women in my congregation take me at face value when I say, look, this this ministry would be incomplete without Kelsey and her gifts are so incredibly important to what we do. So I think the church, this is an area where I think the church can can use some work where the guy who's scrubbing the toilet. I actually just read an article where uh, in, in a European restaurant, the dishwasher who's been there for 13 years has just been made partner in this really fancy restaurant. And and he's like he hasn't tried to move up. He hasn't tried to become a server. He hasn't. He's like, I believe washing the dishes is really important. So I do it with the best of my ability and with the excellence that I have. Mm-hmm. And the owners of the restaurant go, we couldn't agree more. And so they made and then and then it became national news. And they're like. We didn't think this was national news. We felt like this guy deserved credit for the 13 years of loyalty, washing dishes day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, what a beautiful picture of the gifts of the body that that guy, uh, frankly, is probably, you know, in spiritual terms, the Kelsey is going to be far closer to Jesus than I am in heaven. Right. The rewards in in earth are mine already now. Mm -hmm. The praise I receive. And so. Um, Nate, what would you say to that? Yeah, no, I I think just tying this all up. Well, one, one point before we tie it up. I think um, there needs to be a recognition at this church, at Watermark, um, of the gifts that do get elevated, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, uh, typically the one that gets pushed the most is the gift of evangelism. And so for the person out there who's thinking like, oh gosh, I didn't share my faith with my waiter, and now I'm, you know, I'm less of a Christian. Yeah. Or, or I did, and she thought I was hitting on her, and now I'm happy being escorted out, which is what Larry Osborne writes in the book. Yeah, yeah. right, right. I mean, or or something like that, because I, I do have conversations with people who end up again. It's it's definitely unintentional, but the unintentional consequence of some of that is for mm. people to get a savior complex. Right. It's my job to save these people, and right. I was just man, let that burden go. Jesus is moving, like Mike and I would say, mainly Nika in Narnia, like Aslan is on the move, mm. right? And he is the one who's moving. Um, it's it's not your responsibility to save the world. It never was, never will be. But I would say this this last thing and, and kind of a you know final thought or a takeaway. First Timothy one five is a, a great little passage when thinking about this. And if the goal of what we're doing is anything other, this gets back to the litmus test. If it's anything other than love, mm. then you've gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And and I think there needs to be a, a recognition and internal examination of your heart to say, hey, what is what is motivating me to this type of attitude or action or viewing people a certain way or frankly, viewing myself in an elevated way? And if the answer to that is not love, then um, we've we've gone wrong. So first Timothy one five says the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And that type of of posture in the Christian life is so fundamentally essential. Um, frankly, it's the thing that the Holy Spirit produces in us. And so wherever you are on the spectrum of maturity in Christ, give grace to the people who are ahead of you and give grace to the people behind you. Recognize the fact that we're all a work in process and that the Holy Spirit is continuing to move and the work that he started in you, he will complete it one day. But that's about all the time we have for today. Um, Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next month.